the cup of blessing. Really? That, that's what, the cup of blessing which we bless. We bless the cup of blessing. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So what is this cup of blessing? It's interesting now, Jesus is at the Passover, right? And at the Passover, and this is what Paul's referring to, at the Passover, every good Jew would drink four cups, not very small amounts. So there are four cups that they would drink. The first cup was remembering that they came out of Egypt. Now, we could spiritualize that because we, we all came out of Egypt. But for them, it was an actual event of their ancestors, and they would drink to that. They would take a second cup. And the second cup was a reminder that they would never be slaves again. And you know, the nation of Israel was never really a slave again. They went into captivity, some of them, but that was because of their disobedience. But it says that they would never be slaves like they were in Egypt. The third cup, I'll come back to it, the fourth cup is God's promise to Israel. God's promise to Abraham, right? That whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I'll curse. That he'll have children and ancestors as, as great as the stars in the sky and the grains of sand. That, By the way, you're adopted into that promise. And you're one of those stars that are shining this morning. Amen. Some of you are shining more than others. But praise God. You hear what I'm saying. But back to that third cup. The third cup is the, called the cup of redemption, and it's also been called the cup of blessing. And this one we don't have to spiritualize. This is not directly at Israel. This is for all of us because we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We've been bought back. We've been bought out of slavery. We have been redeemed. That's ultimately the blessing. If you get that blessing, what other blessing do you really have to have? Amen. I know you want more, but the cup of redemption is the cup of blessing. So this cup, and remember, remember, the wine symbolizes blood. We'll come back to that. So they drink these four cups, and the one cup is the cup of blessing, and, and boy, there's a lot more to this. Mark chapter 14, verse 23 and 24. Then he took the cup when he had given thanks, gave it to them, and they all drank from it. You're familiar with this. He said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. So the wine was the blood. Now, I've been feasting on the Last Supper, I think now for before COVID. So why, why does COVID define everything in our calendars anymore? But it's been like three and a half, almost four years, the Lord gave me some revelation on the Last Supper. And and I, I just I just keep I just keep going back there and I'm realizing that like the crucifixion and the resurrection, the Last Supper was a turning point. 
It was a critical point in the ministry of Jesus right at the end of his life. It, it was what turned things that led to the crucifixion. Because he's got all 12 there, and they're eating together, right? And they're celebrating the Passover. And at this supper, he says, I have a new commandment. Now, this is huge. Don't gloss over it. A new commandment. For thousands of years, they've ten commandments. So they've lived with ten commandments. Now Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new one. I'm not so sure he's saying number 11. I think he's saying, let me give you this one, and if you do this one, you won't have to worry about the other ten. A new commandment. I think we ought to pay attention to that. A new commandment. And he modeled this new commandment by wrapping a towel around himself and washing the feet of the disciples. A job that the lowest, lowest slave in the house would do. The very last person. It was the nastiest job in in the house. Because people didn't wear a lot of shoes back then. And the streets were not paved with gold. I'm just letting your imagination wander at this point. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It was a nasty, dirty job. And isn't it interesting that nobody had already done it? Their feet were supposed to be washed when they came in, not after supper was over. Apparently, none of the 12 thought that they were that low. Didn't anyone hire a slave to come in here and wash our feet? It's all about me. Bless me, bless me, bless me. You are not the center of attention. Glory to God. So none of them washed anybody's feet. And finally, Jesus, who's the highest position in the house, goes to the lowest position, like his death will do, and he washes their feet. And, and Peter's like, this ain't right. And Jesus said, if, if I don't wash your feet, you, you have nothing to do with me. This is huge. And Peter says, wash me all, and that's me, plunge me. Wash me all over. And Jesus said, you don't have need to be washed all over, but your feet do. And that's why today, if not actually, at least symbolically, I know some of you are nervous right now. We're not going to wash your feet today. But symbolically, we need to continue to wash one another's feet. Instead of acting like we're better than everybody, we're more important than everybody, and everybody should be bound down to me, and everyone should be aware of my needs. Come on, church. We need to be washing their feet. Even the priests in the Old Testament had to wash their hands and feet before they went into the holy place to minister. And notice Jesus didn't say, wash your hands. That's because if you wash someone's feet, that automatically cleanses your hands. The act of washing feet doesn't just bless them, it cleanses you. Wow, come on, there's a lot going on here. And we could spend a lot of time here. 
But I just want you to understand, Jesus gave them a new commandment. And that new commandment is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Boy, the standard just... Because we all like to say, I love everybody. Just don't think about it too long. (laughs) But we don't show it. And we avoid people. And we don't bless everyone. In fact, some people we curse. Lord, I'm going to have, thank you for strength because I got, I got a big rock to pull this morning. They're not amen in me. You know you've done it. Not just before you were saved. Jesus set this up in his teaching, Luke chapter 6 and verse 28. Bless those who, and pray for those who spitefully, not accidentally, spitefully planned it, use you. Pray for the manipulators. Bless them who curse you. Now, we've all read that scripture, and we don't, and after we read it, we forget about it. But to actually, have you ever actually said, how does this work, and how do I do this, when do I do this? And if you'll start doing it, it will amaze you how your life will change. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus breaks it down even more. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Boy, Matthew took that thing and spread it out. I mean, I mean, he doesn't leave anything to, he doesn't leave you a, lot, a whole lot of options here. You got to love them, bless them, you got to do good and pray for them. So I heard someone say this. He asked the question, are you a determinator or are you a terminator? A someone who curses is a terminator. We put a curse on them to stop them from being who they should be. We don't like what they're doing, so we stop it. We act like the terminator. But when you bless somebody, you're a determinator. I don't even know if that word's in the dictionary. You're a determinator, which means you are determining by God's grace and revelation who they are in God, and you're putting that on them. They hate you. They can't stand you. They've hurt you. They've lied about you. But you're going to bless them because if they, because if they can, if they can be blessed, they won't do that anymore. You can fight back, but they'll just fight you. But if you'll bless them and that blessing takes hold, they're not the same person anymore. And now they're blessing you. Even if you're a manipulator, you ought to do this. <laughs> Lord. How many remember the story of Noah? 
when he got off the boat. Huh? I've preached this before. A lot, you know, I, I, I go to different churches and I talk to, try to encourage them. And I usually find a way to get this story in there somewhere. And I, and I always come away from that church and the people are like, oh. And it really, you know, it really changes everything. And I've had pastors thank me so many times for sharing this because it's so powerful. The story of Noah after he got off the boat, first thing he did was, I am planning a vineyard, <laughs> not a cornfield. He's not out hunting animals. He said, first thing I'm going to do, and I don't, I don't know how long that takes, but the first thing he did was, I need, I need a drink. <laughs> now, you can criticize old brother Noah, but if I had to shovel it for a year, Whatever grew quicker. <laughs> I got to stop, dude. So Noah finally gets his wine. It took, I don't know how much wine it would take. But he got so plastered that he was lying naked in his tent. You know, if you're going to get plastered, will you at least stay in your tent? Don't go out into town and make a fool of yourself. So he's lying in his tent, minding his own business. He has how many sons? He has three sons. And Ham comes in, looks through there, sees him in this state. And the Bible says he uncovers him. He went out and told the other brothers and the wives, have you seen the old man? He's plastered back. He went in there and ran his mouth. Listen, when I say he told the whole world, I mean that literally. <laughs> literally. He, I'm not saying through Facebook. I'm saying from his mouth to their ear, he told the entire world that Noah, what Noah had done. Now, here's the thing. I do not believe the Scriptures uh, authorizes or, 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 or condones the drinking of strong drink. I believe if you, when you get to the point where you get a little, little buzz on, you've gone too far. Come on. You've gone too far because you're affecting brain chemistry. And that's not what drinking is. is I mean, that, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. The Bible strongly condemns strong drink. Right? And what we call 3-2 beer would have been strong drink in biblical days. So I've, okay, that's where I'm at. That's a fact. So there we are. Told the whole world. I don't know how we got drunk on that much wine. Okay, there we go. And, but the strength, so the issue wasn't the drinking. The issue was what someone did with that information. And what I tell churches everywhere, I say, look, it's, it's hard on pastors to have friends in the church because someone will get jealous and they want to be your friend and it just, it just gets nuts. So, but 
you have, but over time, especially the people you work with, you eventually kind of let them in your tent. Do you understand what I mean? Sooner or later, you begin to share things. They begin to see things in your life. Some of you never, ever see anything about me except when I shake your hand out there and when I preach to you like a crazy man up here. And that's the only time you see me. You know nothing else really about me except the gossip you've heard. Okay. So, but sooner or later, you get in the tent and that's true of anybody you meet. Sooner or later, they may get you, they may allow you a peek in the tent. And maybe they'll let you come in the tent. And maybe you could spend the night in the tent. But, 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 but see, sooner or later, they may. But, but here's the thing. When you get in their tent, you see things. Good and bad. You're, listen, the closer you get to me, you may see some things that you disagree with. So watch this. So sooner or later, you may see something. I don't think that, you know, pastor ought not act like that. I don't know about, you know, I don't know about that. And, 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 and sooner or later, you may find something that you don't like. Maybe it's wrong. Maybe you misinterpreted. Maybe your standards are just stupid. I, I don't know. But but you saw something you don't like. Now, the question is, even if, and I'm not talking about horrid, horrible sin. I'm, I'm just talking about you find something that, that you think is wrong. Now, the question is not, not about me because I have to face God with that. The question is, what are you going to do with that information? And believe it or not, God didn't curse Noah for being drunk, he cursed Ham for spreading the gossip. Woo, look out, gossipers. And don't say things like, well, it's the truth. I know it's the truth, but just because it's the truth doesn't mean you can slander. You could, well, not slander, but it doesn't mean that you can go out and knock people down. It's called cursing. Wow. Am I helping anybody? So the question is, what are you going to do? Now, we know what the other two brothers did. They took a coat and walked in backwards. They wouldn't even look at it. Now, listen, we need to learn how to cover people. I'm not talking about a cover-up. I'm not, I'm not saying there are no consequences to people's behavior. Yeah, there are consequences. I don't know what Noah's were. But there are consequences to sin in people's lives. But it's not our job to expose. It's our job to cover them until they can recover themselves. Oh, what I just said there is worth another offering. We cover so they can recover. If you'll cover people and pray over them and bless them, sooner or later they're going to come to their senses and they're going to repent and they're going to get right. But if all you do is curse them, they're under a curse. Now it's twice as hard to come up out of that. Am I making any sense to anybody? My God. We need to cover people instead of 
expose people. In fact, Ham wasn't necessarily the one that got the curse. It was his, it was his son. Now, isn't it interesting that, that Ham's grandson, his name was Nimrod, and the Bible said that he, you know, got this city going, and he said he was a mighty hunter. The other two sons became shepherds. Ham's generation became hunters. Jesus is the good shepherd. David came out of a life of shepherding. We're supposed to shepherd God's people, not hunt them. We're supposed to cover and bless God's people and and not kill them and curse them. Oh, this, this, is, this is too much. You can't handle this. You can't handle the truth. Now, you can shear the sheep, but you can't kill the sheep. Come on. So we have this world that are manipulators and hunters and cursers, and then there's the church that are supposed to be shepherds who know how to cover the flock and they know the voice of the shepherd. The issue is not what you know, but what you do with what you know. Wow. You know, anyone remember what Lucifer's name was before he fell? He, he was the covering angel. That's what, that's what worship's supposed to be. It covers the congregation. He's the covering angel. But he took to cursing God himself. And down he fell. Come on, church. And now, what's his name? He's the accuser. Don't do Lucifer's work. Quit accusing. Quit terminating. Be a determinator of God's blessing. Definition of a curse, to place something in a lower position than God intended. That's cursing. 1 John 5, 16. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, maybe I should explain that, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. There are people that are, you know, like, like Judas. It was too late. There are people where you just, you don't curse them, but you stop praying for them. Boy, can you imagine being in... I hope I I don't know that I've ever met someone where God just told me, don't pray for them anymore. They're damned. But there are people like that. And he says, if they've sinned unto death, whatever that is, unless they've done that, bless them so that their sin will be forgiven and they can be restored to the image of God because sin distorts image. Wow. 
So if you see your brother sinning a sin, don't get on the hotline. And it doesn't lead to, lead to death. Ask, and, and he, capital H, will give him life. Give him life. That cup, there's blood in that cup. The blood, the life is in the cup. To bless people is to share a cup with them. It's to share life with them. Wow. The cross is all about that. And the question for some people is, well, you know, which side of the cross are you on? How many know there were thieves on either side and one cursed him and the other one blessed him? Wow. And, and, and Jesus, wow, Jesus took him to paradise that day. He lives this life wasted. He's a criminal murderer. Who knows what he's done? But at the last minute on his deathbed, he asks for forgiveness, and he gets it, and he and Jesus die at the same time. And Jesus is walking into paradise, and like a little puppy, he's right behind him like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Tail wagging. He's a... <laughs> Boy, am I glad. And he gets to go into paradise with Jesus. <laughs> Come on, church. Come on, church. The blood is in the cup and as you drink the cup, come on, there's a drinking involved here. When you drink the cup of blessing, you become a blessing. When you drink the cup of blessing, and by the way, blessing is, blessing is whatever it takes to get you to where you need to be. And sometimes that means a hard road for a while. Sometimes you just need to say, God, this is tough, but it's a blessing. Are you in God's will or not? If God is a sovereign God, then whatever you're going through, you've got, it's a blessing. But I'm telling you, listen, you're either in the center of God's will or you're not. God's either sovereign in your life or he's not. If you start complaining about things, maybe it's because you're not in his will. When you start saying things like, I can't make it, well, that's a lie of the devil because he never puts more on you than you can stand. Then why does he take me through these trials? To strengthen your spiritual muscle. Couch potato. We all want to be spiritual couch potatoes. Just sit on there and watch life go by. But God says, no, you're getting off the, off the couch. You're going to run a bit. You're going to lift some weights. You're going to work out. You're going to huff and puff a little bit because it will make you stronger. So whatever we go through, we're thankful. We bless him. We praise him. We adore him. Hallelujah. It's all a blessing from God. Does that help anybody give him a praise? Amen. Drinking the blood is like the blood over the door. It marks you so that destruction passes by you. Matthew 20. I'm almost done. Matthew 20. 
Verse 21, Jesus said to her, what do you wish? This woman keeps, <laughs> Jesus, I got two boys. Can one sit on your right and the other one sit on your left? Jesus. Jesus could have said, I wish that woman quit nagging me. Here's what Jesus said. What do you want? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. Remember, the other ten are there. <laughs> They're like, really? You know it's supposed to be me. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup? You want to be blessed? You want to sit on my right and left? Can you drink the cup? Can you pay the price? Can you gain the strength? Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. Wow. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup. And be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. Jesus, such a politician. He, he, got, he got by that one pretty good. But listen, blessing isn't always about the good times. Blessing's about whatever God gives you so you can be who God wants you to be. Wow. How many know that when we all get to heaven, there's a wedding feast? And even Church of God people are going to be drinking wine. <laughs> Sorry. We're all, we're, all, we're all going to be at this feast, and we're all going to drink the cup one more time. My God. The symbolism is this. When, 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 a, when, a man, when a man wants to ask a woman, a Jewish man wants to ask a woman to marry him, he had to go to the woman's father and get permission. Jesus, the groom went to the Father with the cup. He said, I found myself a bride. Ha! Father, I found a bride. Now, here's what the groom, and if the Father says yes, what he has to do is he has to get a cup of wine and go to the bride's house. And go to the bride's house and offer the cup to the bride. If she drinks it, it means she accepts his proposal. That's why Paul says, Jesus says, are you able to drink the cup? There's kind of a price to being a bride. You leave everything. For that man. We leave everything 
to follow Jesus. That's true blessing. Oh, what a blessing it is to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus.